Welcome in to another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. And we're now in the thick of the season. The points championship has begun. Yes. Uh, and and our every waking moment is spent on analyzing those point standings. So let's look at the point standings. Will Power winning the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix, the final edition on the Belle Isle circuit for IndyCar and Will Power, your points leader. And also picked by both you and me. That's right. To win the race. So we go out of Belle Isle in style. Nice, nice rhyme there. Thank you. <laughs> Marcus Erickson, a few points back, uh, just three back of power, then Pato Award in third, 12 points back, and then you, you get going on down. And it, the, the gap significantly increases after Palo, who's in fourth. Then you have Newgarden and Dixon there. But really, the top six, I think it's safe to say your champion will come from that group. Yeah, at this point, it's looking, you know, this is right around where we really start talking about the contenders, the true contenders, as opposed to guys that just got off to fast starts over the season. So I think once we get through, particularly even this week at Road America, is really when, you know, things are going to start to come into focus after, you know, this run of consecutive races. And after we get through here, we'll be able to kind of catch our breath a little bit and really see, okay, who are the guys that are really zeroing in on on a championship chance. Dixon, 53 points back, but let's uh, go ahead and start our recap again. Will Power gets redemption after the engine uh, issue last year in one of the uh, double header races. Engine wouldn't restart after a red flag. Marcus Erickson wins. Again, if there's a red flag, just assume Marcus Erickson's going to win the race. That's just how this has played yep. out in his career so far. But uh, Power, with the strategy, able to do something no one else can do, and that was hang on a longer stint with the red tires as he just held off Alexander Rossi by just a little bit over a second to win the race last Sunday. If there's one more lap, Rossi wins this race, correct? I mean, probably. I mean, power wasn't going to make it easy for Rossi to pass him. I I felt like the inability for Alexander Rossi to close earlier on that final stint, you know, he was, what, like 15, 16 seconds behind with like 12 laps to go and just could not get past that 12 seconds behind for three, four, five laps. And that, I think, cost him because I think, it, you know, as those tires started falling off for Will Power, he got closer and closer. You're knocking off, you know, second, two seconds a lap. But like you said, Power was able to hold on just long enough to to capture the win. And, you know, once again, Rossi, a great effort but doesn't result in a victory. So Rossi able to chip away at one point. It was 20 seconds for a while. Like you said, he was kind of stuck, but with Jack Harvey, the car trying to avoid going a lap down and, and rightfully so, I mean, right. you're, you're not going to get out of the way. That's how the rules are. That allowed Rossi to make a late push, but power able to pick up the win. We'll start with our three things. And I know we talked a lot about power, but let's, let's start with Alexander Rossi. I think this is a, a big weekend for him. He's officially announced in a multi-year deal with Aaron McLaren SP for next year. Again, if you listen to the pod, you would have known that for months, and we've been speculating <laughs> that since, what, last summer? Yeah. Hmm. So that was not a surprise announcement um, that was made last week, I think on Thursday. Thursday then, yeah. then they had the official announcement Friday with the press conference. But 
a great race for him. His best result, his first podium in a long time, goes back to St. Pete's season finale 2020, if I'm not mistaken, Oof. for his most recent podium in IndyCar. So that's a big result for him after a fifth place in the Indy 500. He goes to Road America. His last win, which came back in 2019 at Road America, it seems like there's finally some momentum for Rossi. Well, he has a stable future going ahead. You know, those at this point, you know, there's no uncertainty or kind of looking ahead and really not knowing what's going to happen going into the future. But Rossi now has his future set, and he's had his future set for a while. This has been behind closed doors a deal for quite some time. So, but now that it's out in the open and official, I think he can race, you know, a little bit more free and. Nothing happened over the weekend. He didn't make any mistakes. The team didn't make any mistakes either. So it was, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of been the exception instead of the rule with that team. But he was able to put it all together for a weekend, and it resulted in a runner-up finish. Unfortunately, Will Power is just a little bit better. And to correct myself, last podium was Portland of last year, but his last run of consecutive races, top five or better, you got to go back pretty far all the way to the 2020 season when uh, he was second and then third at the Harvest GP races. So it's been a while for some consistent results for Rossi. And I think, you know, maybe this is the momentum and people will, I think, want to say on the surface, well, he's finally getting better results because his future is settled. That's I know because I think his future was settled months ago. Right. It's just the announcement, though, does get a little bit of weight off your shoulders, though. You can't discredit that. Right. I, I... I agree. I, I find it hard to buy into the oh, now that he uh, it, this you know that he's secured this deal now that he can race. I don't know without without mentally worrying about the. I don't know because he's he's known about this for months, right? So I just think it was good timing. I just think you know the car he gave got a good car, had a good car from the team, and he was able to put a good drive together. I'm not sure if what we saw out of him over the weekend on track had anything or much of anything to do with the announcement that was made. Really? I just feel if anything, it just gives, you know, shakes some, some bad vibes off and maybe gets him back on the right track and you'll see if he can continue it into road America this weekend. All right. What's your first takeaway? Well, my first takeaway, we we mentioned at the top that, you know, last race at Belle Isle and, you know, with, with the differing strategies that we saw, on Sunday was really exciting because you had guys doing two stoppers. You had guys doing three stoppers. You had guys starting on reds or waiting for the reds for the final stand or the middle stand. And I want to say the top four driver finishes all had different strategies on track. So to me, it was a, a great race, maybe not in terms of a lot of mess and you know we didn't have any cautions till the last lap right so which is wild to think about right. i usually think of a lot more on track incidents because it's a street circuit and because it's tight and yet it was the opposite of that i i mean to go nearly caution free the entire race was shocking it was wild i mean to get through turn one was shocking i was like well once they get to turn four something's gonna happen they get through turn four as well and i I think, you know, kind of the pent up energy that you have over a couple of weeks in Indianapolis and, you know, you can't touch there that maybe drivers kind of, okay, now that I can beat and bang a little bit on the streets of, uh, or at least streets of Belle Isle, but um, we didn't see any of that. And and it, it, it was a good farewell, like I said, to Belle Isle. It's a rough track. It's a physical track. We see that it's a strategic track on how you're going to play it. 
And I just have a hard time buying into the course that we move to next year, having that type of setup that we do at Belle Isle. I'm not blaming anybody for, for going to the streets of, of Detroit now, because you're going to have an opportunity to have exponential uh, opportunity to make more money, more fans, more events, all that stuff. Totally get it. But I just have a hard time seeing the street course match up to what we've seen at Belle Isle. Which is crazy because you go back to Belle Isle and the circuit before they came back in 2012. So when they were not in Detroit during the recession, I mean, it was so tough to pass. It was right. not a good race. And then in this kind of new configuration, it produced pretty entertaining racing, especially for a circuit where, again, where the thought is it's too tough to pass here. So we'll just hope we can be entertained by something on track. And I feel like it's it feeds into naturally coming out of Indy. And I know people will say, well, you need an oval after Indy. I don't buy into that because I think it's a refreshing change for the drivers as you go from a couple weeks at Indy going 230, 240, I can't touch anybody, to going to a, the confines of Belle Isle and being able to touch and beat and bang. And I think that's refreshing for the drivers. And over time, the race has gotten better and better and better. And it's going to be tough to see that go away because I think it's, you know, it's when we're talking about road and street courses, it's probably got to be in your top three of most entertaining over the course of the year. At least it's in mine. Yeah, I think it it became one of the more entertaining races. And you look at the new layout with the split pit lane. Yes, it does have a long straightaway and a hairpin. But other than that, I just don't see how it's going to be a more entertaining race year in, year out than what we saw on Sunday. I have a hard time seeing a better race next year than what we saw the last couple of years at Belle Isle, but there's going to be a lot, lot, lot more people because you, you know, what, what's the estimated, we were talking about it. I don't know if we did on the podcast or elsewhere. It's only like 15, 20,000 people that are at Belle Isle. They right? pulled in, I think, about 100,000 over the race weekend. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit more uh, capacity than I thought. But, you know, you can't drive to Belle Isle. You can't walk to Belle Isle. You have to take the bus across. So it's not easy, but it does produce some pretty good IndyCar racing. Surprisingly so, because it was not the case, you know, after 2008 on. Yeah. Uh, or, excuse me, forward. It was not great. But th- this race has improved. In fact, you look at the numbers, I'll just get into it. Jay Fry tweeting out 280 total on-track passes, a new circuit record, 148 for position, 59 in the top 10, 23 in the top five. So you had a lot of on-track action and they were rewarded. Bud Dinker uh, telling Trackside Online, Saturday and Sunday crowns the uh, crowds the biggest in the 13 years that Penske Corp has been involved in the Detroit Grand Prix. So positives to yep. take away. I mean, at least... Uh, that actually attended the race, not watched the race, but we'll get to that later. But what's your number two? All right. So we talked about positives, right? Okay. We're, we're flipping. This is my job usually, yeah, but I, I can't hold back. I can't wait any longer. It's time to talk about Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing. I feel like we've, um, we've touched on it here and there throughout the season, but it's time to just go off. Look, this team is a disaster right it now. Stinks. It's bad. Bad. You have Lungard who finished 14th after starting 19th. Okay, he's a rookie. That's fine. He gets a pass. And I'll give him a pass the whole season yeah. as a rookie. I mean, yeah, we had 
uh, Christian on this podcast. I mean, great kid. He's he's doing what you expect a rookie to do, right? Yeah, he'll have some good moments, some tough moments, but finishing middle of the pack as a rookie in this field, there's no shame in that. No. All right, so that's the I guess the positive of. I mean, it. yeah, but when he's comparable to his other two teammates, that's the problem. Yes, Graham Ray Hall mistake lap two hit the wall. His race was done. This is a race that he typically qualifies for. He's won there twice. Back to back days. Uh, he's won a pole there. I mean, this is a guy who should be competing for top tens and top fives. He made a mistake. He owned it. I'll give him that. But a, a bad afternoon for him. And then Jack Harvey, who finished fifteenth, the spot behind Lungard. The qualifying was bad for all the drivers. Lungard started nineteenth. Harvey twentieth. Graham twenty third. So the issue that we thought with them getting Lungard and Harvey on board, Harvey a much better qualifier than, than Graham was, at least when he was with Shank. Right. And then Lungard, yes, there was one sample size, and that was the IMS road course race um, last, last August. Yeah. But he was a fast six runner in that, finished, I think, 12th. And then he was good again at the IMS road course race uh, as well. So... Uh, the qualifying's been bad. It has not improved. Instead, Takuma Sato, who they basically let go, well, let's just call it what it is. Right. He started uh, second. Yes, he finished 13th. They didn't really get the strategy right, but he still finished ahead of all the Ray Hall cars. And between his Indy 500 qualifying, you know, making the fast 12, his qualifying Sunday, I mean, look, the Ray Hall team is lost. And I don't know if. They're set on making changes for next year, but I would be shocked if this three car lineup and three driver lineup is the same going into next season. There's just there's no way well, that you, happens. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it in terms of multi multi car teams. They're only better than Foyt at yeah. this point. And and you could make the argument that Foyt has at least had flashes of being better because Kirkwood, Kirkwood yeah, uh, was quick in a practice session. He qualified well. Um, well, he, he didn't qualify well as you would think he would have, but there were some issues in qualifying with that. But still, 15th, so he started out of all the Ray Hall cars, so that's well compared to them. And if not for making a mistake, I mean, he's looking at a top five finish, right? Yeah, I mean, top 10 at least, but maybe an opportunity to be top five. So yeah, you're right. We've seen a little, maybe a little bit more flashes from Foyt than we have Ray Hall, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we thought it puzzling at, at the time that Jack Harvey left Meyer Shank that he had an actual an, another suitor in Ray Hall Letterman Landing and Racing because let's be honest, Jack Harvey has not gotten results in his entire IndyCar career. I mean, he what is he at? Like he's got to be close to forty races at least. Maybe he has even one, 50? one podium in his fifty five races. And that's that's terrible. That's a big enough sample size to say that Jack Harvey is not a good IndyCar driver. Okay, and this is with two different teams, so we can't say, "Oh, you know, he didn't have it here." Didn't have that. Like he's not getting the results, right? Graham Rahal is regressing significantly. You know, so many people are hung up, and maybe this is him too. Like the lost opportunity at Indy last year. I mean, what are his results since Indy last year? Has he had any podiums, Graham Rahal, since Indianapolis last year? I mean, we all kind of look at that race and say, "Man, he he had a great chance of winning that race." So Graham last year after Indy, no podiums, but he had several top fives uh, after that. In fact, top five in both Detroit races last year, 
fifth in Nashville, fourth at Laguna Seca. So, I mean, he had results. So he had that. results. I mean, you know, this year has been just a, a bad. No top fives, no podiums. He has a couple seventh place finishes, eighth at Barber. And this is a team that has dabbled into, do we add a fourth car? I don't know how serious that is. We've heard that thrown around. But, yeah, absolutely right. And when you look at this lineup, Jack Harvey's not getting it done. Christian Lungard gets a pass, but you you know expect year two for him to take some strides next year. And quite frankly, Graham Rahal hasn't performed up to expectations. Lungard is 17th in points, and he's the top rookie at the moment. He is ahead of Takuma Sato in, in the point standings well, by, by two. <laughs> there you go. But, you know, it's a very uninspiring rookie of the year race, you know. Good on Christian Lungard for leading that currently, but, you know, I guess it's him and, and Kirkwood basically feels like but uh malukas there yeah malukas in there so but yeah i agree this is a team that's in desperate need of a rethink and we've talked so much about well you know where andretti is and their struggles and you know this is this is another team that you know is is desperate in need of something to go right whether it's this year whether it's in the offseason but if you can't put three consistent contenders out out on track then what makes you think you can do four yeah, I, I think the four is a bit of a pipe dream. You got to get results, right? And I don't think, you know, from ownership, sponsors to the drivers themselves, I don't think anyone's happy with the results of the team so far. They're much higher expectations, especially when it came to qualifying, because Jack Harvey was seen as a better qualifier than Graham Rahal. Well, he couldn't be much worse. I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, at some point, he just is what he is. Graham Rahal is a consistent, he's not a good qualifier. Right. I mean, it's just, that's it. I mean, yeah. And I don't think anyone's going to disagree yeah, with that. I don't think he, it's his like, racecraft up until this year has been, he can charge through the field every time. Right. But you know, you have to do that when you're starting in the teens and in the twenties consistently. So I don't know what this team does at this point. It was a, it was a mistake to get rid of Takuma Sato. Cause at the very least you had a veteran presence there that could give you what you needed at Indianapolis and the ovals. Right. So you yeah. traded Takuma Sato effectively or Jack Harvey that has not, what, one podium in 55 races? Is that what you said? Correct. It's pitiful. It's terrible. It's not, you know, judging somebody over, you know, six or 12 or 20 races. This is 55 races with two different teams that Jack Harvey has had, and he's had one podium. Yeah, as far as full-time team efforts, yeah. Right. I mean, he's Meyer Shank and now Ray Hall, and it's, you know, you would think you'd get something. As far as qualifying pace, race pace, we'll see. But it's just an, been an abysmal season for the Ray Hall team so far. What's your second takeaway? My second takeaway, I want to talk about Felix Rosenquist. And he had an up and down weekend. And of course, you know, the qualifying effort, you know, he, he was ruined by basically he got that penalty. The two lap uh, pulled two of his top times for interference with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, was able to fight back on Sunday, but... Going forward, a lot of discussion now with Alexander Rossi in the fold at McLaren is what's the future for Felix Rosenquist? I I think we can agree to say that the the performance hasn't been there, the consistent performance. He's shown flashes. We read, you know, I think Marshall Pruitt was the one that kind of put it out there that Arrow McLaren has said Felix Rosenquist will be part of our team next year. Now, whether that's at, in IndyCar or in sports cars, who knows? At this point. Yeah, it could be Formula E. It could be WEC, right? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. IMSA, uh, if they have a team there. Look, 
I'm going to kind of disagree with you on a little bit okay. of this with Rosenquist. His starting position, I mean, that's his team's fault for sending him out for oh, the yeah. interference. Yeah, I'm not blaming him okay. for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, um, I mean, that's entirely on the team for making yeah. a mistake. He had clearly a top 12, if not fast six car. Right, I, I don't, agree. I, I don't think you disagree there. So for him to move up from 25th all the way up to 10th, I think that's a, a monster result for him. Absolutely. And continues the string of top 10s. I agree. I, I think my overriding question is, is he doing enough to keep that seat? Because now we're hearing, you know, McLaren would love to lure Alex Pillow, even though we've heard that his contract with, with Ganassi goes, I think, through 2024. So if they even wanted to try that, I don't know how that would work out. They would have to throw huge money to try to break that contract, which I just don't see happening. So do they have somebody else in mind for that third car next year? And is it Felix Rosenquist at this point? Has he done enough, do you feel to warrant him in that seat for 2023? Uh, to be determined. I think that's the question. I, yeah. I, 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 I mean, feel like Zach Brown is probably in the same position. Like, has he? And He's had three really good races in a row. Right. A sixth in the Indy GP after getting knocked out by Pato. He led, led a lap there and came home with the top six in just an absolute chaos race. Fourth at Indy where he qualified well and raced well. And then a 10th at Detroit where again, he overcame, a, you know, his team basically making a mistake and they get a top 10. I mean, that's three really good races in a row. He has a pole on the season. I feel he's trending he's, in the right direction. His qualifying has been solid. Yeah. That's not been the issue. We talked about him last week that, 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 that Indy drive may have been a seat saving drive for him in that fourth position. But he follows it up with, you know, some disappointment heading into uh, the the race day, made up a lot of positions and and really showed his racecraft. You know, I, I think he's trending in the right direction. It's just it's an interesting discussion now because we look at Pato and Rossi as that one two there, but all indications are they'll have three cars at McLaren. And uh, right now I feel it's 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 up for grabs. I think Felix he could be an IndyCar next year. He may be doing Formula E next year, or he could be doing um, sports cars. IMSA. So who knows where he fits into McLaren's plans, but I feel over the last couple races, he's really shown what he can do consistently in IndyCar. He just needs to keep that going. If the alternative is VK, to me, you keep Felix because VK really? has had a string of, of bad races. In fact, I'll just get to my third point here. Yeah. Renus VK, uh, a lot of hype going into the month of May. Uh, had what looked like he was going to get a win at Barber before it kind of slipped away late. And started the season really strong. But but since then, 23rd in the Indy GP, 33rd, dead last in the Indy 500. He was the first car out. 16th, he made contact at the end of Detroit. Mid-pack finish. I mean, th- this is a guy who started the season really strong. He's got to find a way to bounce back because of just all the contract talk. And we kind of understand that Ed still kind of has first, you know, rights with him and rightfully so it's his current team. Right. But I don't see how all this chatter about VK to McLaren holds any bearing when you look at his results on track. I mean, you don't want a guy who crashes cars, right? And this is, you know, three straight, pretty tough outings. You got to maintain your equipment. Rosenquist, for the most part, I would say maintains his equipment well, and he's getting results. So 
yeah, you could make the argument whether to keep or release Rosenquist, but I don't see how you can make an argument for VK over him. I get that VK's younger, but Pato's just as young and he takes care of the car pretty well. True. I feel that there is prom there you, you see the potential in Renus VK. The consistency is not there yet. But I think you look at Renus VK and with Ed Carpenter Racing and say, can will he take the next step forward with a better team? I think we can agree that McLaren from top to bottom is a better team than Ed Carpenter Racing. Absolutely. So and, uh, I has mean, he shown enough at Ed Carpenter Racing to get a better seat? No, I don't really? think so. You don't think so? I, I think winning a race is one thing, and he won. A, uh, he's won some polls as well, but. I think we need to see more consistency, especially after his injury last season, you know, the, the bike accident. And then just, uh, he really struggled down the stretch and right after coming back from that. And I think we still need to see more results. And I don't know if we're going to get that answer, you know, until what Nashville. I mean, that's, that's when you have four races left in the season. And I, I don't think we'll have that answer until then. And to me, if I'm McLaren trying to make a, a move quickly, I stay with Felix again, assuming Pillow is not available. Sure, and that doesn't sound like it's going to be. You know, that's not even a, a point of contention at this point. I, Pillow isn't going to go anywhere due to that contract. So it's decision decision time. And you know, you look at those top teams and you say, well, you know, I, I don't think Ganassi wants to change anything in terms of their driver lineup. No. You look at Penske, and I think they're pretty satisfied with where they're at. Yeah, they're set. I don't think any anyone's leaving or, or moving from Penske. Right. You look at McLaren, who I feel is is one of, if we're going to continue to say big three, they're the third of the big three, in my opinion. I would agree. Um, they're probably staying the same, except that Felix Rosenquist seat. And then you look at Andretti and you know what questions they have. Kirkwood sliding in, but are there other potential I'd say moves? they're set. because you I think mean, that... If Hertha stays, goes there. Oh yeah. Okay. I think he's there. Grosjean's back. Hertha's back, unless somehow he gets an F one seat. Yeah. And then obviously Kirkwood will slot into the twenty seven car. So kind of the point is, is when you look at those, uh, what you know, a lot of people think is the upper echelon teams. There's not going to be open seats. So in terms of silly season with those bigger, better teams, I just don't see a lot of movement. And the movement we know is happening, we already know about, right? So. The questions we had, where's Kirkwood go, Rossi, that's been settled. So there's really not a lot of questions out there for 2023 when we look at Penske, when we look at Ganassi, when we look at McLaren outside of that Rosenquist seat. So that may be Renus VK's only shot at getting a big four ride is that seat. And if he doesn't get that, then I don't see any move that isn't a lateral move at best leaving Ed Carpenter Racing. Yeah, and we'll have more on silly season stuff later on because there's a lot from IndyCar Deep Throat, some tidbits. Uh, you mentioned one of them from Marshall Pruitt, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star also with stuff as well. So a lot to get to on silly season after uh, Detroit. So what's your third takeaway? My final takeaway, Santino Ferrucci, he, he put it in the wall, but another, I think, pretty impressive weekend for Santucci. And, and do we feel with every weekend, with every race that he does, and he shows his competency, does he get an opportunity at a full-time seat? And I, I really feel like him sliding into that Kirkwood seat next year for AJ Foyt would, would be a good move for both, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And 
I think you would believe that he'd be a name under consideration for that. Yeah, he didn't get a, a, a great result over the weekend, but finished 21st, started 17th, you know, whatever, but on short notice on a team you've never raced with before, and I mean, that's pretty finishing the race is, is more than competent. That's a solid job. I would agree. I feel like, you know, he's a guy that has proven ovals, roads, street courses. He can wing it around the track, and that's that's really what Foy... I, I feel like with, with the other team's unwillingness to give Santino Ferrucci a long-term chance, that could be a benefit for AJ Foyt Racing. Take advantage of having a driver that's going to, you know, quote-unquote, drop to you because of things on or off the track, put him in a seat and see what he can do. Because I think over the course of a season, he won't be any less competent than, say, a Cal Kirkwood. And we've seen flashes of uh, out of him this year for Foyt. Okay, scenario. If you're Santino Ferrucci, do you stay with Ryan Reinbold and say you get to do the Indy 500, maybe a couple other races if they tack something on? knowing that they have good cars for Indianapolis or do you go with Foyt the full season or there's more opportunities to put together good results, but at Indianapolis, the Foyt team has largely struggled for years. I'm going full-time opportunity. I don't think the Dreyer and Reinbold seat is good enough to pass up any full-time opportunity in the series. So I, I would definitely, in a heartbeat, say the full-time ride. All right, there you have it. All right, well, that's our three things. We'll take a look at other notes from Detroit, including the TV rating, which was um, less than stellar. Which but I think we there expected. Are, yeah, there are a lot of factors at, at play in that. But uh, a couple of quick notes. Kyle Kirkwood had the hand injury, won the IMSA poll in his class for Vassar Sullivan. Obviously, he was looking good for a, a result. He's cleared... Um, he was cleared over the weekend. He should be good to go for this weekend as well at Road America. But um, pretty impressive what he did with the injury over the weekend. Yeah, it looked pretty wicked when you saw some of those uh, pictures. And then uh, keeping it with the drivers who were injured, Callum Eilat was out. He will be back for Road America this weekend. All right, let's talk TV numbers. 0.23 rating, 354,000 viewers. For the final IndyCar race on Belle Isle over the weekend. So for comparison, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star uh, says that it's, this is one of seven under 400,000 viewers since the start of 2020. And all of those were on NBCSN or USA. The, the Harvest GP Race 2 was on USA in 2020. And then Detroit, obviously, for, for this year on USA. So... I guess the comparison is 354,000 on USA for this one compared to the 2020 Harvest GP2 race, 223,000. That's a lot bigger number. If you're trying to find any kind of silver lining, silver lining to it. Look, this is what you get. You know, this is the trade off for 14 network races, right? Is you're going to have two races are on USA and one race is just going to be on Peacock. So I wouldn't say the series is cashing it in with these races, but you had to expect a low number for these races now you can mentally prepare yourself for a low number and then when it comes out you can still be like oh man that stinks right but this is what this is a trade-off i mean this it's it's as simple as this like for people that have satellite or cable and you're going through and you know a lot of your sports channels are grouped together you know when i had dish 
ESPNs were together, Fox Sports were together, NBCSN was together. So you'd go through and you'd stumble upon the race if you weren't necessarily looking for it. USA isn't even close to the rest of the sports channels, right? So there's not a lot of people accidentally stumbling upon an IndyCar race on USA. So it wasn't a good number. I think people are maybe overanalyzing things and saying, you know, should have an oval or they got to do more advertising about ball. I think all that stuff you can throw in, but I also think this is a expected effect of having 14 network races. You're going to have two on USA and they're not going to do very well. And then the Peacock race is going to do, I mean, if they get over 200,000 for that race, I'll be surprised. Yeah. Well, who knows if we'll even get numbers. Yeah, we released. may not even get it. Yeah. Which would tell the story. <laughs> Without it becoming public, you know, if we don't see those numbers, that means it wasn't good. You look at at the numbers and look, like you said, it's not great, but NASCAR literally started minutes apart from IndyCar at Gateway in the inaugural race there. And that was on FS1. Uh, You had a women's golf event that was on. It was on USA. USA. That's why it didn't start earlier. Yeah. And then moved to NBC. That's why it wasn't on NBC. There's just a lot going on. It's also summer, which granted, most of the IndyCar races are in summer, but it just, it makes it tough. And the weekend after the Indy 500, I don't know if there's a hangover or or what. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know very many, if any casual IndyCar watchers, fans, but after the spectacle that is Indianapolis 500, some people will say, oh, you got to keep that momentum going. You need that race right after Indy to keep it. I don't know if people are mentally set to watch another race after a week, if that makes sense. I don't know if after Indy, after the Indianapolis 500, that it, are they eager, talking about casual fans, or people that just, you know, turn on the 500, are they eager then to watch another race? Or is it almost like, you know, hey, I got to take a break, you know? It, it's not a need. It's not a, a want. I find it very, and I don't know if you've ever met one, Caleb, of a hard time finding somebody that watched the Indianapolis 500 and then is like, oh yeah, when's the next race? I want to watch. For casual people, they go to the Indy 500 because they just want to see it. Right. And or watch it. Yeah. And, then they're, and done. they're not going to ask that question. Right. Not because they didn't enjoy their time at the 500. It's just, I don't know. It, it sadly doesn't resonate on a week to week basis. Right. And a lot of people tune into the 500. It's like, man, they got another race next week. Some people will say, yeah, that's great. But they're like, I think people are like, man, I you know, I sat in front of the TV last Sunday watching a race. I don't really want to do that this Sunday. We didn't do anything last week. We're going to do something this week because there's, you know, not the 500. I'm just saying, I don't know if there's this such thing as, you know, this momentum out of the Indianapolis 500 that a lot of people like to claim there could be. It's probably a bit overrated and they could run an oval and run Milwaukee and put it on network TV and the race start at a little afternoon Eastern and the rating probably... St- would be i mean you get a million you, you, if you get a million that's great but that's what you'd expect for any other right. race yeah i don't on network yeah i don't think you're getting two million in that scenario exactly week after the indianapolis fire i just don't see that residual effect that people like to think is out there and you know i saw people make this argument on twitter this week the races themselves are having great attendance this year and i think right. that is key yeah like the tv ratings will come and go and Look, the future of streaming is closer than you think when it comes to TV 
IndyCar eventually would not be surprising if it's just all on Peacock or IndyCar TV that that they'll call it and you pay 50, 100 bucks, so you get the whole season and every session right. streaming. I mean, I don't feel like we're that far off from that. That could happen in five years, 10 years max. Right. So the fact that attendance has been good at most of these races this year, with the exception of Texas, I think that's something that we should focus more on. And the TV ratings will come and go. I would expect Road America to have a good TV rating. It usually does. Sure. And starting earlier in the day certainly helps. Definitely helps. Not going directly against NASCAR. Yeah. Not You know, that'll help. There is an F1 race, but it'll finish before any car. So these are all factors that come into play. I think so. And I think in the end, you mentioned, you know, having healthy events. If Without healthy race events, it doesn't matter what the TV rating is, right? You have less events. So Correct. That's the important thing. We talk about the chicken and the egg. Where you, need for, you need healthy events, well-attended events to have a race series. So in that respect, so far, so good for IndyCar, with the exception of Texas, of course. All right. Some other notes from the weekend at Detroit. Nick Yeoman pointing this out. Seventh different pole sitter in seven races to start the season. St. Pete, you had McLaughlin, Texas, Rosenquist, Long Beach, Herta, Barber, VK. For the GMR Grand Prix, you had Power, Indy 500, Scott Dixon, and Detroit, Joseph Newgarden. And Newgarden really never was a factor in this race outside no. of the first stint. In fact, he wasn't really in it before the end of his first stint in this one. Yeah. But um, one of the takeaways to that also, Chevy gets their 100th win since they returned in 2012. Will Power with 26 of those. Team Pinsky with 67 of them as well. That's not a surprise. IndyCar 1909 with a couple tidbits. Will Powers now won in 16 straight seasons. And Alexander Rossi and Scott Dixon earned their best results of the season, finishing in second and third. You know, you mentioned Will Power and, you know, the, the dichotomy between what we saw his reaction last year after that red flag that was, in my opinion, a greater outburst from Will Power than his double birds, in my opinion. But how he handled Saturday and not qualifying as high as he wanted to, obviously, and felt like he could have, he handled it in stride. And, you know, we've we've talked about it at length over the course of the season is the different willpower that we're seeing. And I think his win on Sunday was a direct result of him moving past what happened Saturday reasonably quick and refocusing and being able to put a complete drive together with a great strategy on Sunday. And I'm not necessarily sure that the willpower of even last year would be able to do that. So as good as he has been over the course of his career, I think we're seeing a a, a next-level willpower in terms of being able to handle the highs, and especially the lows, in a better manner than what he has in the past. And I think that was you know proven last weekend. And a final useless tidbit that I pointed out to you, on Sunday, the drivers finishing in the top seven in this race all represented the top seven of the point standings. It wasn't a, a big earth-shattering no. uh, day for the point standings, right? I mean, it was, I think, you even mentioned maybe nine of the top ten finishers in the race were already in the top ten Correct. In points. And the only anomaly was Herta, who finished in eighth, and he's 11th in points. Yeah, so it didn't shake things up too much we'll see if the same thing happens this week at road america all right well if you agree or disagree with anything you've heard so far we'd love for you to interact with us you can find us on social media our twitter handle is indycar podcast follow us on instagram there as well on facebook like us to search for new track record we'd love for you to check out the website and sign up to our weekly email list 
NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. Also, while you're there, check out the store. You can check out the sticker selection. Also, a link to our t-shirts as well. And you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Cole, Rob, and the others who have signed up to support us. We appreciate your support. And you can always find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts. If you follow us on there, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating if you could. If you're really nice, write a review. Also, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you follow your podcasts all for free. Okay, Justin, mailbag time and plenty to discuss this week. Let's go. So what we, do you got? We go back and back and back and back and back in the archive just because there's so much. And the first one, shout out to you. And uh, I don't know if we covered this last week, but from Daguerre, this age well for me at least, talking about uh, Chip, Can- Canning Felix. And oh yeah about the uh consecutive yeah. top 10 yeah yeah yep i don't know if we cover that but i want to just get that in um also so let's start with silly season stuff jenna fryer tweeting since at least half the paddock is talking about it the most common name mentioned for the third mclaren seat is the reigning indycar champion so pato rossi and polo a lot of responses here dc soda says well that came out of nowhere be surprised for ganassi to let go of the heir apparent though Hunter's way 67. Plo would be a full to leave CGR. He's primed to be the number one driver in the near, near future, if not sooner. And Daguerre says, I see the future. Polo to Aaron McLaren SP. Lungard to Ganassi. Rosenquist to Ray Hall. And Scuba Steve 85. I can't believe Ganassi would let Plo go. He finally found the driver that can be the guy when Dixon retires. He'd be stupid to let that go. I think it's a lot of buzz. I don't know if there's a lot to it. I don't think so either, at least not in the short term. I mean, maybe when that contract comes up in a couple of years, but you know, unless there's something out there that we don't know about, I don't feel like McLaren is going to be able to come in there and pay and buy out that contract. And even if they could, Chip probably isn't interested. And, you know, too, why why would Alex Polo want to leave Chip Ganassi Racing? I mean, that's the whole thing that nobody's considering is why yeah. would Polo even want to leave? He just won a championship. They have great cars for the Indy 500. And I mean, he's with a team where he could stay for his whole career if he wants. Yeah, absolutely. So what's, what's the drive for Alex Pillow to even want to leave? I mean, it took Ganassi several tries to find the long-term replacement for Dario Franchitti in the 10 car. It did not go well for Ed Jones. It went okay for Felix Rosenquist. It went okay for Tony Kanaan. It's gone swimmingly for Alex. Yeah. Why leave? You could say so. And you know, your your other teammate just won the Indianapolis 500. So, yeah, I, I feel like that driver lineup set for the foreseeable future, at least at the top end. Uh, some responses on uh, last week's Indy 500 episode. DC Soda says, I'm sorry, but the idea that off-track stuff matters for Rookie of the Year is a joke to me. Johnson has won four Brickyard 400s. Why does he need this? Does nothing for him and would do something for Malukas? I don't disagree, but that's how it's written. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it is what it is. That if They're judging it by the parameters that they've set. And this from Hunter's Way 67. That says, nice recap, guys. My wife and I, plus my brother-in-law, thoroughly enjoyed the whole Indy 500 experience. Thanks for the tips on parking. We found a great spot in a neighborhood close to our seats for only $15. That's the key. Right. And then adds, also, you guys didn't give yourselves enough credit for Rossi to Aaron McLaren SP. Pretty sure you were saying that last year. Yeah, we'll keep patting ourselves on the back. Oh, don't, don't encourage us. Yes, <laughs> we're absolutely going to milk this as much as possible. Covers up the multitude of 
mistakes we've predicted and wrong things we've predicted. We're gonna we're gonna lean on that uh, that positive thing for quite some time. We won't drop that anytime soon. All right, <laughs> rate the race time, and we forgot to mention this: the start, a complete joke. They got to do something about starts, right? Yeah, in IndyCar. I mean. I even thought that the 500 was a bit too strung out when they started it and waved green. So, but nothing was as bad as as the Detroit start. That yeah, was bad. It's terrible. Like, and and unfortunately, IndyCar has let it get to this point. If they would have started really nailing people and really, really started enforcing the starts, you wouldn't have gotten to this point. But you've let it go. You let it go. You've let it go. And now you're at a point where it's just a complete cluster. And and now they have to rein it back in. And unfortunately, I don't feel like it's getting the attention from media entities within the series that cover the series as much as it should. I think if media really started leaning on IndyCar and started doing stories and asking questions and all this, because it's terrible. And at this point, I just feel like it's almost an accepted thing in the series to, oh, yeah, the starts are going to be dumb. But it's like, do something about it. Right. And, and maybe bring it up and bringing it into the mainstream and have people talking about it as much as they do rookie of the year or whatever, or TV ratings, maybe they would get some things solved. But unfortunately, the IndyCar stewards have kind of, you know, let things go. And here we are with absolute messes of starts. And the starts matter so much, especially on run street course races, right? Right. You know, but even at ovals, you know, you got, got guys, you know, kind of slowing down then speeding up and you know the accordion effect we see that bite at a couple ovals recently so none of them are good road street oval whatever it's it's tough to get a clean nice good start in indycar nowadays and unfortunately they've let it get this way all right start notwithstanding how would you rate the race uh seven probably okay not phenomenal not Boring. I mean, the fact that it went very fast with no yellows until the end. Incredibly fast. Yeah, it absolutely went fast. So I I think there there was a. It was tough to even get to a point where you felt like nothing was going on because it was going so fast. So uh, I think they didn't do through the field till what lap forty three, something like that, maybe. So there was no time to go through the right. Yeah. So I feel like a a seven is pretty fair. What about you? I'm gonna go seven and a half. I have to go better in my Indy five hundred rating because. Quite honestly, in my opinion, this is a more entertaining race than the Indy 500. Yeah, I, I would agree. And that may be, too, when we talk about momentum coming out of Indy, and you know, it's tough for me to buy into that, but if you have a better Indianapolis 500, then more people may potentially be tuning in a week after. Yeah. I mean, there is the potential for the Indy 500 to have an, an incredible finish when you have the red flag late, and then, but with Erickson holding on, I mean, you didn't have any drama really on that right. restart. Yeah, but, absolutely. Again, rightfully so, Erickson was the winner. I mean, it definitely he he had the car. Now, at Detroit, uh, seven and a half, I, I thought you had a lot of passing. You had a lot of strategy. It just felt like a flurry of activity and without any cautions. I mean, it went so fast, like you said, but it, there never seemed to be a lull in the action, which sometimes you get, I would say most of the time you get at, at races. All right, responses here. Vicky Lynn, 26, 10. Watching Ooh. Rossi carve through the field like that, epic. The way the tire strategies played out. I was on the edge of my seat watching the times between Power, Rossi, and Dixon. Great race for the last at Belle Isle. Wow, just wow. Loved it. DC Soda gave it an 8 for a caution-free race. It was very interesting to see the strategies play out. Had we had one more lap, it really could have been something, but heck of a drive by both Power and Rossi. Hunter's Way 67. 
Great race, giving an eight, cool strategies, tons of passing without the help of cautions, restarts, and start coming to green was horrible. Got to get them lined up better than that. Yeah, we definitely yep. agree with you there. NK Harden gave it a five. You had to really pay attention and follow the strategy to not get bored with this one. NBC guys did a great job of tracking the strategy and monitoring the gaps. The race just lacked any great on-track action. Uh, Human Spectre 1 gave it an 8. It was a great race. I don't know how you could give it a low score. Had passing and great multiple strategies going on. This is a great way to say bye to the track with a great race. I had me at the edge of my seat for most of it. Great race for IndyCar. P. Gaynor 14 gave it a 9. I was at the race to so take that into account. I thought it was a thrilling race watching the different strategies play out and see Rossi and others carve up those still on reds. It was a perfect example of a race that didn't need a caution to be exciting. That's uh, a good point. Cole, the show bear, 0.5, a power Rossi one to finish will always get a 0.5 from me no matter what. <laughs> All right. River Lee, 709-03066, gave it an 8. Fit J1983 gave it a 3. The New Garden Strategy Saga of 2022 continues to whiff like St. Pete in Alabama. Great drive to only drop to 4th. Full sin race, probably a seven for avid fans following the strategy battle, maybe a four or five for casual viewer. Nichardson Roa gave it uh, said great race. Just wish we had one more lap. Eight out of 10. Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a six. The race itself was pretty uneventful. Strategy calls allowed drivers to move forward, but there seemed to be very little actual passing in the front of the field. I disagree. I thought there was yeah, a I lot. I felt like there was considerable amount. Jeremy from HBG. I for incomplete. Thanks, terrible internet provider, for making me miss the first 20 laps. <laughs> Ouch. If I searched for Century, I couldn't find a, a worse internet company. Well, apologies to you there. And Those are the dangers of, of streaming, yes. right? Without a good internet connection. Uh, Daguerre gave it a four. Not very eventful and not very memorable, but congrats to Will Power. R. Cole gave it a 10 because I always give Detroit the best rating. Yeah, he's a Michigan guy, yeah. so I get that. Laser Disco gave it a seven. Love the tire strategy games, but watching Power Drive by himself for the last 15 laps. The guys in the booth trying to create drama was frustrating. Rossi was never going to catch Power in time. Would have loved to see some of the battle between Pato and Newgard. You know, I'm going to actually disagree there. Really? Because you looked at the numbers and how it was. I think they didn't play it up as much as they like normally would. Right. I thought there was a legitimate chance that Rossi was going to catch power. Yeah. And for him to lose by a second and change proves that they were correct. Yeah, he got held up by a lap car, but power got held up by Jack Harvey. Right. And, and I don't know, and then maybe this was addressed somewhere, is did Will Power kind of hold back a little bit in those final 10 laps trying to conserve those tires? Oh, I'm sure he did. I mean, if, if he wasn't trying to conserve tires, then he would have gone after Harvey more. True. Yeah. So if it became closer sooner, would he have been able to turn it back up potentially? Did he time it out or the team time it out to, to this is what you're going to have to do time wise to prevent Rossi from passing you, whether it was one second or 15 seconds, maybe, but uh, at least, you know, we think it would have, you know, if it was another lap or two, he's going to get around you, but would have been a good what if, but uh, it worked out for willpower. Normally, I would say the TV broadcast kind of plays stuff up toward the end more than what's going on. I felt like this when you when you looked at it, yeah, it was a lot of time to make up yeah. for Rossi, but especially in those closing laps, I mean, he did make it very. Yeah. I mean, he was taking off chunks of time, more than a right. second, sometimes even more than a second per a couple corners. So right. 
I, I guess I disagree on that. Uh, run underscore Mark underscore run. Give it a 10. Look like an IndyCar betting genius right now. Best $20 I ever spent. Yeah, good for you on that. Uh, well, get, that's what happens when you listen to us. Yeah. Sometimes we, we get the, the pick right. Occasionally. <laughs> Very rarely. Yes. Bobby Corser gave it an eight and a half. Great strategy played out for Power and Rossi. So a lot of responses on Break the Race, and I'm, I'm sure I probably f- forgot another one, but taking a look at what people had on thoughts uh, on the final race at Belle Isle and going to a new course. Vicky Lynn says uh, a lot of drivers they asked about leaving Belle Isle didn't want to go. It'll be missed for sure. Fingers crossed the new course races better than it looks. I think we all feel that way. Hunter's Way 67 agreed about the racing. It's never been better on the aisle. The attendance looked bare. I know some grandstands either missing or smaller than previous years. Well, Penske officials said it was good. Yeah. They're maybe they added, ever. maybe they added some additional grandstands that were needed because of the crowd and they just kind of looked empty. I'm not sure. Could be. All right. You posted this poll, which Detroit GP finishing position surprised you the most. 50% said Ray Hall in 26th, 35% McLaughlin in 19th, 11% Malukas in 11th, 4% Grosjean in 17th. Like we said, there weren't very many surprises in the top 10. So it's no. very, I mean, Malukas was kind of more, hey, look at him, almost a top 10 for him was impressive. Yeah, his ties his best career finish, best career start. Uh, Hunter's Way 67. Graham and really the entire team at RLL, biggest disappointment in the paddock this year. Harvey has to see the MSR cars doing uh, well and regretting his decision. Yeah, who knows? A little bit. NK Harden says, Rail is always so good here, but he qualified at the back and barely even got going. Glad I didn't follow Cable's advice and pick him in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever trust my yeah. fantasy racing advice. It's, <laughs> it's truly terrible. Yeah. All right. And then uh, you posted this. Describe Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan's season so far in one word. We will start. Pathetic is what you put. Thought that was pretty fitting. Yes. A ton of responses. Vicky Lynn 26 says in, invisible. Jamin T14, so bad even Marco can't watch with a gift from Marco. <laughs> R. Cole uh, with a gift that says the word vanished. Hunter's Way 67 says embarrassing. Daniel SEM 2004, a gift of someone on a, a like a forklift crashing into like the shelves and everything crashing down. <laughs> Bauer Racing says funny. Uh, Human Spectre 1, uh, a gift of someone at Top Golf and falling off the ledge trying to uh, uh, swing. Yeah. yeah. Laser Disco just says who? Yeah, at this in, point. In Captain 185, abysmal. As a huge Graham and RLL fan, this is just hard to watch. It's like they're participating in a different sport, qualifying. Well, that goes without saying. No pace. Right. Zero speed and lots of mistakes. This team is completely lost. Daguerre responds with a gif of the train that falls off the bridge and comes crashing down. <laughs> so many responses on this, and this team is just... A mess. They are lost. And I yell for better or for worse, they get to bounce back this week. We'll see if they can put some semblance of competency together at Road America. Replies on the TV rating. Uh, PGANOR14 says this was predictable with a race on USA Network. That's why Nikar worked so hard to get 14 races on big NBC to offset this. Worth a while, the trade off, in my opinion, I predict they'll get a solid number this week at NBC at noon. Agreed. Scuba Steve 85. They're also up against playoff hockey and NASCAR. I wouldn't expect a great number given all that. Poet Shevchenko says, we started the season with such good vibes. What happened? You can bait if momentum is a thing or not, but from the end of February until mid-May, it's like any car fell off the radar for everyone except the hardcore fans. So 
some serious introspection is needed right now. I don't know. I don't. I don't think the ceiling is is falling in. And no, I think I'm I'm more disappointed in the Indy 500 rating yeah. than what we saw on USA. I would. Agree. I just feel like it's been a couple really bad weeks for IndyCar in terms of TV rating. Daniel SCM 2004 says, "Sad and pathetic, honestly." All right, and you posted this poll. What's worse right now? Gas prices, IndyCar TV ratings, or our podcast? <laughs> Surprisingly. Our podcast did not win. Yeah, it did not win. 16% said the podcast. 14% said TV ratings. 70% gas prices. What? It's what? 525 here in Fort Wayne? Yes. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's insanity. And John Oriovitz was uh, jumped in, our buddy John. It was surprised that more people didn't vote for our podcast. And uh, me, uh, me too. Totally shocked. Vicky Lynn 26 says in reality gas prices for sure. I watched the race. So I did my part for the ratings and I love the podcast. So, <laughs> well, thank you. You're the one. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's one person does uh, DC soda says I'm really tired of hearing about TV ratings at this point, but I think a week break between the 500 and this would help. Feels like there's always a 500 hangover for fans too. Yeah, Being I on, agree. USA was never going to be great. So whatever. I don't know if th- that's true, but Eddie Gossage always wanted that week off. Right. You know, and, and then go right into Texas the week. Maybe there's a point to it. I know there are fans out there that would love races every weekend. I, I get it. I'm not one of those. You wouldn't want 52 races a year. No. But if you say like even like cup like 36 or whatever they got now, 35, like that's just too much. Like that's too grind. much for me. Yeah. I, I have too much other stuff going on or I'm told that we have other stuff going on. Uh, being married, but it's just, it's exhausting. Like, uh, look, I'm looking forward to road America, but I'm also part of me on Sunday is going to be like, man, it would be nice if I didn't have to sit down and watch <laughs> Baku. And then I have to watch IndyCar. Like, I love the sport. Don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't need it every week. And after the emotions of may, it's almost, it's, it's kind of nice to maybe like like us, we've kind of looked at at the 500 as that official start of the championship race and all that stuff. Maybe it would be nice if you have a little break. Like you look at at Formula One with their summer break. You know they got two what two three weeks off. I'm not saying maybe that long, but at least one week, and maybe you know that's where you hit the unofficial midway point of the year. Even though there's you know more races left than what you've ran, it does feel like two completely different aspects of the schedule it's pre-indie and then post-indie i feel yes the teams would love it too like they would love a a week or two break after indie to really refocus and regroup and get some sleep and all that stuff and and hit the ground running for the second half of the year this from hunter's way 67 it would help if people actually knew there was a race sunday no promotion anywhere from what i could tell also, the series has to stop with the is it may yet nonsense, even if the other races aren't as important as the 500 act like they are. I do feel like there's something there. And agree when we have more time, maybe in the offseason or something, I, that is a great point because I do feel and we've we've mentioned it here there that the series focuses way too much on its pinnacle race. And then Indy Oreo, John Oreovitz says the IndyCar broadcast itself deserves votes for being bad. Yes, that's what I said. John is John is very much correct. N.K. Harden says, how have we gone all season without talking about Will Power's new teeth? Am I the only one who noticed this? I did not notice it. I didn't notice it. He has new teeth? I don't know. I mean, we all knew that that Joseph Newgarden a couple years ago was getting some stuff done. I'm going to need a before and after Will Power picture from Mr. Harden. Uh, Of the teeth. Yes, of the teeth. So we shall see. 
if uh you know if, if Scott McLaughlin's getting new veneers here it's got to be the a Penske next year yeah it's got to be a Penske thing right yes I mean you you, you got to have the teeth um, a couple other responses that I did not get to on Ray Hall and their season in one word again there were a ton here uh Sig Domer says being a Ray Hall Letterman Lane again racing fan depressing Transocean Trojan anonymous. Uh, Rob underscore McMahon. It's a gif of a girl going down a slide and then face planting. <laughs> that was a good one. That was funny. So a couple others there. A lot of responses, but thanks everyone for your responses uh, each week for the mailbag. All right. News and notes. And we'll start with silly season as we wrap things up. A lot of rumors. A couple from the uh, racer.com Marshall Pruitt mailbag. First off, uh, Mar- Marshall says Alex Blow said to be under contract through 2024. So that kind of should settle that unless they want to buy it out, which good luck with that. Right. And and he goes on to say Plo could be leading the team for the next 15 years. Also, if Jimmy wants to continue in IndyCar in 2023, the headlines would suggest Carvana's big struggles would mean he needs to find another major sponsor. And then also this on James Hinchcliffe. Uh, Pruitt says, if all goes according to plan, he'll be racing full-time next year, most likely in IMSA. And we'll miss him like Matt. So he may not be on the broadcast next year. Something I, to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I feel like he's been a tremendous asset into the booth. Really like him being a part of it. But I do feel like he has plenty of racing still in him. And he would much rather be on a grid somewhere. Absolutely. All right. A lot from IndyCar Deep Throat this week. Telling us driver lineup expected for McLaren, Pato, Rossi, and VK. Felix looks to be linked with Ed Carpenter racing as in a possible swap move. Zach Brown's been the one interested in VK since last year. Also interest out there for Santino, two teams that are seriously interested in his services for 2023. So who would that be? I think it's Foyt is Foyt one. Foyt is one. Will the other be Hunkos? In a second car? Possibly. Yeah. Update on Marcus Erickson set to re-sign with Ganassi after his Indy 500 win. Talks after the 500 include a two-year extension. Not a surprise. Makes sense. Name that's been thrown around in years past, Nicholas Latifi, who's with Williams and F1. The Canadian driver Latifi and his group have been in talks with Foyt, Carpenter, and Coyne for a potential seat in 2023. Source telling IndyCar Deep Throat, if he brings a big enough check, that is Latifi, he'll go to ECR, replace the money and seat that VK currently holds. Felix in the running for that seat at the moment. ECR three cars for next year, possibly. And then uh, a racetrack update. Homestead looks to be in the running as the second or third race for 2023. ISC, which I think is owned by NASCAR, right? Yeah. Uh, Still pushing for an IndyCar race. And then no further context was given to IndyCar Deep Throat on this, just besides some Jimmy news coming in the next week or two. Jimmy news, huh? We'll keep an eye out for our Jimmy news. My guess would be... Something sponsor related, or could this be it? Who, who knows? I don't. Well, I don't know if you would make that announcement in the middle of the year that you're done. But no, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think. But would, he may switch. I saw something out there. He could switch to like ovals only, possibly. I mean, I think the proof is in the results that that would be a good move. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But a lot of notes there. A lot on silly season and. And things at play for next year. In fact, I think the most interesting silly season thing that we saw, and we've we've kind of covered a lot over the weekend. Uh, I lot 
wants to remain with Hunkos. That's not really a surprise. There's a lot in Nathan Brown's uh, Silly Season Breakdown in the Indy Star. Um, talking about VK, could he be on the move? Elio Castroneves in talks, in fact, set to meet down and discuss his future before Road America with the team in a full-time effort. And I thought he was a guy that, uh, unfortunately, he did great in making the fast six last weekend. It was good to see that. And then disappointment in the race. Linus Lundqvist, the Swede, if he wins Indy Lights, which he's dominating, he'll be in Indy Car. It's another name to keep an eye on. Who else we got? Hunkos. So on a second car with Hunkos, this from Indy Car Radio over the weekend, uh, Ricardo Hunkos saying, it's coming along well. The idea is two cars for sure. Having Santino will give us a chance to know each other. We have some other drivers on the radar to analyze. That was interesting. Alex Pillow on stuff with him. Jenna Fryer saying, Pillow very limited in what he can say about his existing contract at Ganassi. I specifically asked him if it was accurate to categorize his situation as not talking to other teams. Very happy at Ganassi. Very happy everyone is talking to him. He said, all accurate. And so I don't expect him to go anywhere, but I think the, the biggest thing we learned Tony Canon tweeting this, and naturally it's in Portuguese. Ah, but it res- responded to a-, a post on Rossi to McLaren, and this from a, a Portuguese IndyCar blog. Uh, none of the two people will fall from their chairs when they know this in regards to Rosenquist or VK. Hmm. As far as McLaren, so neither he's saying, huh? yeah. People have thrown out Scott Dixon. People have thrown out Daniel Ricardo. Well, I I don't know, but he says none of the two. We'll see. It's someone that TK is clearly connected with, though. True. So that would give preference to Dixon over Ricardo in that scenario. Yeah, it's just very tough to see Dixon ever leaving Ganassi to me. I would agree. Ever. All right. A couple other news and notes. Preda Autosport, uh, they have the Henry Ford with them as a sponsor. Also, Winnebago RV, Simona Di Silvestro. Oh, interesting weekend going in this. Yeah, it will, it will be interesting to see how they perform this weekend in that third ECR car. There will be a longer practice session, 75 minutes on Friday for the first session of the weekend. They will have a resurfacing. So Road America will be resurfaced after this year, after the racing action this year. So that's something to keep an eye on as well that could change yeah, the track significantly that can for better or for worse sometimes all right let's preview road america real quick taking a look at the schedule over the weekend on friday indycar practice one mentioned 75 minutes 425 eastern on peacock sirius xm channel 160 as well indycar radio with coverage and then on saturday We'll have practice 2, 10.45 a.m. Eastern on Peacock. Qualifying, 1.45 Eastern in the afternoon on Peacock. Final practice, 5.20 Eastern on Peacock. Then race day, green flag set for 12.55 p.m. Peacock and NBC for this weekend. 55 laps. This race throws me off because the lap count is so yeah, small. It's so huge. Because it's a four-mile course. Yeah. Unlike uh, pretty much any other course they race at in IndyCar, the drivers love it. It's just a weird race to me because we usually go caution free. Yeah. And when they're pitting like every like 10 to 15 laps, it, it throws you off. 
Yeah, yeah, it does because you feel like 55 laps should go pretty fast, but it doesn't because the facility is so massive. All right, a couple other things to get to here in news and notes before our random split air driver of the week. First off, do you have a pick for this weekend? I don't because I don't have anything here, so I'm yeah. going to leave it to you or, you know, take... I'm going to go with Pillow. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to... Th- see, I was going to go Alex Pillow, but I was thinking. Well, then go with, go with the other guy I was going to pick. The, like, I'm, like I'm supposed to know that? <laughs> um, His teammate, Scott Dixon. You're going to go Dixon? I am going to go... Whew. I'll keep it in the Penske family and go New Garden. For this All right. Week. So I'll change my pick to Dixon, and you're going to go New Garden. I I think it'll be one of those two teams winning. I don't know why. Yeah, I, just, I think so. That's what I expect. That's what I, yeah. couple other quick uh, notes on Road America. Three key stats from Chad 200. Power, three podiums in the last four races here. Hasn't won since 2016. Simon, eight starts, no podiums, two laps led. Herda, three front row starts, including pole. Finished eighth, fifth, fifth, and second. Never led a lap, which is wild. Yeah. AJ Foyt Racing, they raised $2 million for their Homes for Our Troops campaign. That's really cool. Great to see. And then Carvana Racing, teaming up with the American Legion for Driven to Give Back, now through June 16th. They'll donate a dollar for each email sign-up they receive to the American Legion. Uh, They've tweeted out a link on the Chip Ganassi Racing Team's Twitter account for that as well. Excellent. Okay, tweets of the week, and it's pretty short, pretty simple, and it's from Colton Herta. Is the split happening in golf? Uh, I don't follow golf, but it sounds very split-esque from what's going on. Yes, it does. With what the LIV and the PGA is basically what it is. Correct. All right, random split era driver of the week time. Do you have one? Because I don't, as I'm sitting here with no... My son <laughs> has my phone. I had no research done, so... But, you know... I. You know, talking real quick while you you look up one is with that golf thing, and I'm seeing more and more this morning the split, and even I think is um, Ryan McGee with ESPN uh-huh. that made the split reference for IndyCar for this. So very much looking like there's going to be a cart and an IRL in terms of golf. Do we do cart or IRL last week? I can't. We recall. did IRL last week. All right, so we're in, we're in cart. And we're looking at the 2001 FedEx Championship Series card season. Okay. All what right. Do we got. So we have Max Wilson. Of really? Arciero Blair Racing. He okay. drove in a handful of events. He's a Brazil, born in Germany, but Brazilian parentage. Okay. And he drove in a handful of races for that team in 2000. Uh, Lola B2K double zero chassis, but a Phoenix engine and then a Ford engine. First three races in the Phoenix did not compete in Motegi. And then after that, he was in the Ford engine best finish of fourth at Portland. No, other top tens or top fives, 25th in points, 12 points on the season. He, he raced in V8 supercars after that for a handful of years through 2008 okay. stock car, Brazil, 2009 to 2016. Competed in the Bathurst 1000 during his V8 Supercars era. And uh, he won Stock Car Brazil in 2010. So had some success recently. And uh, guy I've obviously never heard of, but nine wins, six poles, five fastest laps in Stock Car Brazil. And he's competed in a lot of series, uh, Formula 3, Formula 3000. 
in Formula One. He was a test driver for the Williams team in 1998. And he was offered to drive with Minardi at the end of 99, but a lack of financial backing saw him lose the ride at the last minute to ah, Gaston Mazakane, uh, who had a lot more money. 2000 F1 test driver for Michelin. The tire manufacturer prepared yeah. to re-enter F1. And then he returned to the U.S. without a ride for the 2001 F1 season. So that's where he found his time in a cart. So very pretty accomplished driver, Mr. Max Wilson. Yes, Max Wilson, our random split air driver of the week. All right, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week to recap the Suncio Grand Prix at Road America here on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.